Hi, I'm Steve Martin and I'm Chief Executive of MNC Saatchi Sport and Entertainment. This is the Olympic Mindset Podcast brought to you by Pearson. Hello and welcome to the Olympic Mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset Podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Episode 12 of the Olympic Mindset Podcast brings you Steve Martin, the global CEO of MNC Saatchi Sports and Entertainment, a six-time BTSIA Agency of the Year, 2021's UK Sponsorship Agency of the Year, and Steve personally was the first inductee into the UK Sponsorship Hall of Fame. Steve is here today to talk to us about his role as a CEO, how to build a high-performing team, and more importantly, how to sustain a high-performing team. We hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Please join us at theolympicmindsetpodcast.com to receive our weekly newsletter, giving you an insight into the world of elite individuals. Season two of the Olympic Mindset Podcast is brought to you by Pearson, the world's leading learning company. So Steve Martin, very, very busy man, global CEO of of MNC Saatchi. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today. Pleasure, Don. Pleasure. Delighted to talk. And back from Australia too. I know we had a chat off camera, but how was that trip? Did you enjoy yourself? Yeah, I did. I mean, we were were down there for a couple of years, actually, and it was pretty lucky. Went down there in August 2019 and really to try and fix our agency down there. It was the one agency out of the seven sort of sport and entertainment offices that we have that wasn't doing as well as I liked. We had a couple of years down there, you know, put, putting that right and sort of escaped COVID for about 18 months, which we were very, very lucky. Sort of, I would hate to have gone down there and been, you know, in pure lockdown the whole time. It would have been a terrible time. But yeah, it was a brilliant experience. Great work experience. And, you know, for me, at, at this stage of my career, to get my hands really dirty and, you know, see, test yourself all over again and then at the same time enjoy the lifestyle down there. So, And, and that's quite interesting, actually, Steve, because obviously, you know, you're CEO. So the fact that you've taken yourself the other side of the world to go and fix something that actually probably was nothing to do with you. How did that come about and how difficult was that decision to make? Uh, it, was a, it was a difficult decision. I mean, I've been at MNC Saatchi, set up the sports and entertainment part of the business um, 18 years ago. So, you know, those 18 years have been terrific. I mean, we've been very lucky. I think, you know, I've been blessed with building a really great team of people around me. You know, as I said, we've got seven offices worldwide now from me sitting there in a corner in April 2004, looking at a wall, thinking, what the hell am I doing? Just suddenly having seven offices and, you know, dotted in great parts of the world where, you know, sport and entertainment are very much part of popular culture and, um, you know, play a big part in those in those markets. So I just felt that, as I said, the one office that was underperforming was our Australian office and it shouldn't have been and it was annoying me. <laughs> so and I thought, well, you know, I speak to all our offices almost every day if not every other day I mean it's 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 a truly international sort of role you know but it's what I've been used to and grown up with but I just felt that to fix something you can't do it sitting on a 
you know, phone call. You have to be down there living and you can't do it over a matter of months. You, you know, we need to throw our weight. So I just, just made the call saying, like, my title is a global CEO, whatever that actually means. But why does that mean I have to sit in London? I just made the call with my wife and my two kids. The two girls were nine and six at the time just to go and sort of transplant ourselves down there and get right into it. And, you know, MNC Sachi is a brilliant operation down there. There's 450 odd people who work there. They're one of the biggest agencies in town. But in the sports bit, just as I say, wasn't doing what it should. Um, we just sort of took the bull by the horns and went for it and threw ourselves into it. And, you know, a couple of years later, it was it was enjoyable to get back on the plane you know knowing that was going in the right direction we've got the right team in place and it's thriving again you know well credit to you for doing that but you know a question i would have would be what what was the first thing you did steve so you've arrived there things aren't going right everybody's probably quite anxious the big boss has arrived what's the first thing you do yeah there was there was an anxiety i mean i was anxious as well you know so you know i think people need to understand that you're not you know certainly you don't come in as the big i am you know i've never been like that i think you've got to really understand and listen and have an ability to ask all the right questions and observe i think you could come in gung-ho all big time and you know oh here's the chief exec coming from London and all this nonsense and you know you'd end up they'd put you back on the plane very quickly so I sort of looked at it and observed and tried to address it and try to give people a chance and you know it's quite a humbling experience I mean it's this is this is one of our smaller offices but we're really really good office and it was that you know it was irritating me a lot that it was underperforming so I think the thing for me was I went and talked to a lot of clients as well so it wasn't one-way traffic it wasn't just sort of you know look navel gazing it was talking to the clients and getting them to really feedback of what was going on and what they wanted and why things maybe weren't clicking. And that was quite cathartic, actually, and nobody had ever asked them that. Um, and in a way, I just literally asked for a chance to rebuild it. A lot of our business in the client and agency relationships are built on trust, and I asked them to trust me. And um, as a result, then I can make the calls to change the team and evolve it and bring in fresh talent, fresh thinking, a fresh attitude you want know, a clear, clear vision for the agency in that market. A lot of big brands go and test, you know, their brand launches in that market. Um, you know, it's a hotbed of talent as well. So um, it was it was something that I was very edgy about, but also really excited about. And um, I think we put the right sort of building blocks in place for it to thrive again. I bet. I, I, I'm sure you have. And, I, you know, this is an interesting conversation to me because, as you know, season one went out a while back. And we spoke to John Pett, who's the high performance director of Modern Pentathlon and the former chief of paracycling. Um, so he's got lots of performance experience. And he was saying to me that whenever he appoints somebody, he doesn't necessarily look at skill set qualifications. He looks equally at the type of person, the personality, the drive, the focus. I mean, when you went down and you made these changes, you brought in fresh blood, as you said, what was your focus? Did you need a better skill set to start with or was it personality type to fit the culture? I think it has to be both. I mean, you know, the, the danger was, uh, well, I guess the nature of the business we're in, you know, what we do for those big clients and in Australia, it's with Commonwealth Bank and World War II, you know, mega brands down there, the biggest brands is well, we activate, activate all their sports and entertainment properties, really. So what I mean by activating is we come up with all the creative ideas to help activate all the rights that they might get. You know, one of the big partnerships they have with, with Commonwealth Bank. That was one of the things we did when we were down there was with the Matildas, the Aussie um, women's soccer team. And, you know, they have a big partnership with them. They've had terrific heritage with um, cricket in Australia as well, particularly women's cricket. And um, I think it was really getting campaigns and, you know, under our belt and ideas under our belt, those clients would buy and then we'd roll out and it would create a you know, huge dent for the brand. 
in that market. And to do that, you need to have highly creative people. So you need to have people with ideas, but you need to also have a hybrid and ability to present, ability to persuade, and ability to just be really, really good to work with and have terrific energy. So it's not just about personality. I mean, there's plenty of good people in the world and plenty of great personalities in the world, but you need to have almost a ruthless focus on a, on a creative flair as well. And I think that's where we started to really change things and the team have brought in have that in spades really. And um, it's changed changed things a lot, thank goodness. So just drilling down a little deeper into that, is that something you look at in the interview process? Is that something you've learned to identify over time or do you just go out to recruiters and say, this is what we want and, and leave it to them? Pearson, the world's learning company, we're all about supporting lifelong learning. And as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today and what their future should look like. In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they have to say on the topics that matter, from the barriers to learning that we need to break down, to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. Um, no, it's, it differs per market, don't really. I think, you know, in the US we do a lot of our own recruitment. It's quite organic. You know, we'll know friends of people or people we know or people, you know, within our team members who know other people that they would like to bring in here, recommend, uh, recommend it through the system. Um, but you can identify talent in many, many ways. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I've always prided ourselves to be, you know, we have a big name above the door with MNC Saatchi. The expectations on us are really high. I and mean, whenever we, you know, I'm jump ship from Adidas to, to create this agency, this is, you know, way back in 2004. Um, I, I wanted to have a great name above the door, which is why jumping from Adidas to the Saatchi brand was, was really helpful. Um, but I also wanted to have, make sure we weren't, there was no arrogance in the business. And we, you know, we were really had lovely confidence. I, I, I love being around confident people, but I detest being around arrogant people. Like really hate it. And um, there's a very fine line between the two. And, but confidence is sort of engaging and, you know, it gets you on your toes and you can bring people around you and you, you can create that drive and energy you need, particularly in the agency. And, and you underpin that with what I call flair, which is sort of a little bit of magic and, um, you know, great ideas and persuasiveness and making things happen. Not a load of talk. There's an awful lot of talk within the sports industry, but not enough sort of pure delivery. And there's a lot of arrogance around, you know, a lot of cockiness and arrogance, which I have, avoided like the plague thank god and we would never employ anyone like that and anyone who maybe gets ahead of themselves they don't last too long so i think it's um we've got a really lovely rhythm to the business and a sense of highly approachable and i hope um really nice to work with too which i think is a great unspoken value in a lot of businesses really i've got a really small insight into the world of sponsorship and marketing so a few years ago, I was um, managing a non-league football team in Wales, and we basically, uh, we had no budget for players. I'd arranged a friendly, and we played against Valencia. So what I did was, I kind of approached 
Talksport and Wix and a few other big agencies and said, would you kind of sponsor this, uh, get on board? And they were like, oh, we're not sure. So I said, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get two La Liga games and I'm going to organise a massive game with ex-pros in the UK. When I, I eventually did that, we played Valencia the one year, we played Deportivo La Coruña the second year. The third year, I brought um, Liverpool legends to Pontypridd. And once I'd set a target for myself and I said I was going to do something, it was going to happen. The only thing I regret was I made absolutely no money from the whole thing. <laughs> There's always a catch. There's always a catch. Yeah. But it was amazing. It was an amazing experience and a really good insight into the kind of world of sponsorship and marketing and, and that kind of more commercial side of things, which I think I learned a lot from that, you know, that kind of getting to know people, getting to work out the right type of people, the right types of organisations maybe, and equally not just bringing people in, but knowing the ones not to allow in. You know, you're going to meet different characters in life. You can't like everybody, but um, you can be open-minded about everybody. And then, you know, you can make your own decisions after that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all had employees that maybe we don't necessarily like, but they're really high-performing. So um, I had an ex-colleague, they used to call people cats and dogs. So you've kind of got the cats who just want to be left alone. They're not very, they don't play well with others, but they're highly effective. And then you've got the dogs who are energetic and loyal and bouncy, but every now and then make a mess on the carpet. So you need to clean up after them. (laughs) The idea is to kind of merge the two and have the best of both. But yeah, you know, you can't like everybody, but equally you can't just surround yourself with people you like and you is that balance. Absolutely right. Sorry to, to show ignorance here, but what exactly is the role of a CEO and, and what do you do? I think I think it's evolved so much. You know, there's no one set, you know, a CEO does this. I mean, I, I my sort of take on it and my understanding of how I go about the business and, you know, what I, I guess add to the business is giving it a clear direction and, you know, giving it a really clear vision that evolves over time. And I think, you know, the agency world and the sports marketing world in general and the entertainment side of a business has it's constantly evolving. You know, whenever we started the business, there was no social media, for example, to give you a real context. But not that I want to give you a history lesson, but, but I think, I think, I think really that's a context because what we've obviously tried to do is evolve the business continually. So I guess my role is to make sure we have a really clear evolving vision for the business that moves with the times and, that's number one. You've got a clear vision for the business, where you want to be and how you want to do it. Then, you know, you, you can then pull together sort of, you know, a clear strategy to get there. And then the tactical element of that is, you know, hiring the right people and making sure our offer is incredibly clean and clear and make ourselves very easy to buy as an agency from a client perspective, make ourselves very desirable for, you know, employees to come and join us and the best talent in the business to, to, to come and join us. Um, and then there's obviously the financial bit underpinning all of that. That that's all, that can all be great if you have a clear vision, you've got all the nuts and bolts in place, you've got really good clients. But you need to make it financially successful, that you know, and sustainable. I think, um, you know, I've never wanted it to be a sort of a flash in the pan that it's up one year, down the next, and up here, you know, all over the show. And you know, we've grown every year in eighteen years. It's been terrific, and. Um, I think that comes down to having a very clear purpose for the business and a very clear, clear vision everyone buys into. And then I guess the other thing that's really important because we live in such a competitive world and everything in life is a bit competitive, but um, you know, the agency game 
particularly in our, you know, we've got a load of different agencies we're up against all the time. New agencies have evolved out of COVID. New agencies, you know, emerging from some of the biggest, you know, agencies, the IMGs, et cetera, of the world that have suddenly come from nowhere. Um, you know, it's a very competitive space. And I think for me, part of my role is to be a really good front person for the business as well. So, you know, help the shop window, help with new business, but also, you know, you become a bit of a spokesperson for that business and the industry per se. So I think taking a sort of leadership and thought leadership and being a, hopefully being some sort of aspiring leader to our teams and potential new recruits as well. So it's so multifaceted. And now, Dom, it's hard, hard to say it's one thing. It's it's quite ridiculous. And we obviously also work within the sort of a PLC. So I think, you know, the, the, the understanding I've had in terms of, you know, financial and commercial understanding um, that I've learned over the years has been, you know, has been quite vast, really. Um, and, you you know, you go through highs and lows, but I think mostly I, I say we've gone through through highs. But so it's it's really a really, really different role than you'd think it would be. It's not just sort of, you know, spouting things from the top and then hoping to happen. You're, you're very, very hands-on now as a CEO. Empower children aged 5 to 11 to develop confidence and make safe choices with .com Digital by Too Simple. Housing over 24 themes, .com Digital enables schools to deliver a rich PSHE curriculum, all while fulfilling the requirements of the 2020 RSE framework. Created in conjunction with children, safeguarding leads and senior leaders from across the UK's police forces, .com Digital speaks to children in their own language with free resources to support children's safety and resilience against current and emerging threats. .com Digital is constantly being updated and all lesson content is packaged with comprehensive overviews, videos, guidance and activities. Access your free sample pack of lessons at twosimple.com forward slash Olympic Mindset. It's too simple. Well, that's why I was surprised um, when you said that you went down to Australia to to fix what was wrong. Because, it, you know, if I'm honest, sometimes you think how important is it to get involved um, operationally when obviously you do need to maintain a bit of distance sometimes to make a strategic decision. So I was surprised to hear that you made that decision. But when you explained it, it makes complete sense, I think you know, to see a leader come and actually take responsibility and enforce the action is is inspiring as well as kind of um, probably what that organization needed at that time to see, you know, where you were headed, how it was going to be done. And then probably for you to model that having done it yourself. I mean, whilst, you know, Googling you, I, I found that you were the first inductee into the UK Sponsorship Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, that was very nice to get, you know, I mean, I sometimes think those awards are given to you because you're old and you've been in it too long, you know, but I think your your point about going to, you know, to Australia was there were many reasons for that, as we talked about. I, I'm a great believer in giving everybody autonomy. Like I really, I was given so much room to breathe when I joined MNC Satya. I was actually really lucky in my years and years at Adidas that even though I had bosses, I was still given autonomy to go and make decisions and 
do things and, and make things happen without somebody sitting on your shoulder the whole time. There's nothing worse. Like, and that's about trust, you know, bringing down your team. That's about having the right talent, people around you, that you build that trust. But autonomy is a massive thing. And I don't, but at the same time, I also don't want to be this sort of untouchable chief exec that just, so, you know, thinks they're sitting up there in their ivory tower. Like, I'm, I'm not that at all. We're really normal. We're all in it together. And like, if I can help, brilliant. I don't want to hinder, but if I can help, I really, really want to help. But I want to make sure... The teams have a dotted line to me the whole time, highly, highly accessible, really involved in it without annoying people, if you know what I mean. And I, I think that's finding a really, a real balance in that. Because I've worked with people over the years where like, I don't even know they were my boss. Like I'm thinking, you're not adding anything. Um, and there's others where, who have been so fabulous because they're so accessible. And I've learned, you, know, you learn from a lot of different people. I've always wanted to look up to people in my career since I started when I was, you know, 1920, really. And you always need somebody to aspire to a wee bit or you learn from how they behave and then you learn from others how not to behave, actually. So I think you'd sort of pinch a bit of from here and there. And I've always wanted to sort of, you know, give people the room to breathe, but to give them the backing and encouragement and confidence if they're good, they'll absolutely thrive, and you know, we'll work beautifully together. But it's um, it's 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 sometimes harder to do and easier to say, you know, to do that. But yeah, I would say I'm okay at that. You know, I'd give give people the freedom to express themselves and do what they do. To put you on the spot now, Steve, what does a good leader look like if you could put it into three or four characteristics? I think they, that that they instill confidence in the team. They they are there to handle the good times and the bad times, and you know, create a steady not a volatile setup. So I think you've got a good steady head that have, you know, can lead through experience and having that experience that can, you know, be filtered right down to the teams. I think, um, I think belief is a massive part of our business, you know, is not be hesitant in any way. Like part of the creative industry we work in is it's really tough because you know, you might see an, a big idea that might never come to life. You might see an average idea that really does come to life and it, you know, gets loaded. I want people to feel comfortable in their own skin. And if you're walking in on eggshells every day to work, well, there's something wrong. There's either something you're not doing the job properly or you're or you're walking into the wrong environment. I think I think for for me it's creating an environment when everybody can thrive and everybody can back each other and everybody can trust each other. You know, we don't suffer fools. You know, I I would say one of the things, yeah, you know, you can be Mr. Nice Guy all the time, but I think we've we've also got a, a genuine hardness to us and toughness um, that you have to have in the agency game because we don't suffer fools. But at the same time, you know, you find the balance that you you want real encouragement because um, not everybody's going to get it right the whole time. So we've got we've got a sense of, I guess, patience as well. It's interesting that you've started to touch on this, Steve, because actually a few of our guests have discussed what you're talking about in kind of a slightly different context. So self-belief being tied into self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is slightly different to kind of having confidence or confidence in general. It's your confidence to engage in a task or an activity and, and to impact on that environment or culture or organisation as you did going down to Australia. That takes a high level of self-efficacy, not confidence, because it's built of four different things, performance-related outcomes. So your mastery of, of your subject knowledge, you know, years and experience, 20 years experience of doing the job day in, day out, knowing what it takes on each level. 
Then there's vicarious experience, which you've touched on, which is having role models, you've learned from other leaders, and now you're role modeling that yourself to other people. Uh, the third one is verbal persuasion. I'm assuming you've had lots of credit and people praise you. And the final one is physiological feedback. So to, to build up self-efficacy, you need that kind of sense of happiness and joy and, and belief in, in the activity that you've done, the people to kind of role model and show you the way, the, the mastery and the performance-related outcomes. And then, you know, all of that makes a confident individual that can feel that they can take on a task or a challenge at hand. And at the very start of this interview, you started saying, I wanted to take on the challenge. I wanted to try that again. I wanted to get my teeth stuck into the office in Australia. And I found it fascinating that that you've got that mindset and it's kind of translating from sport into kind of business. So that was really interesting to me. Would you agree with everything I've said there around self-efficacy? Yeah, very much. Very much. And, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't think about it, you know, as as rigorously as that or as linear as that this is where i mean about flair and being doing it through instinct and just how you behave and stuff but all the points you sort of say are are so true and you don't see them all the time you know i think i think there's particularly uh, you know a lot of people take it for granted a lot of, uh, as well within within the job is is taken for granted and i i have never wanted to do that because of the nature of the work we are we're so so privileged so lucky to be work in the industry we we do um I, I remind people of that every day and you know we're very lucky to work for an agency like mnc sachi i think as well you know who have got a terrific you know name i've got so much history okay there's been rocky points of course there's going to be because of the company of the, of the nature we're in but i think you never take it too too much for granted all those points that you've made and but i i think it's quite a good it would be a quite a good checklist to make sure you're doing it right to go back to those points that you've made and say like am i doing these things because sometimes sometimes we you know and i'm probably a real critic of myself for this i'm always I, i'm always about too much what's next what's next what's next what's next and that can drive people mad, you know, drive myself mad with that. But I think sometimes you need to have a little stop and think, am I doing these things? I'm making sure that I'm doing it the right way because, you know, you might be doing it completely wrong. We're not particularly good at stopping and reflecting. <laughs> We're very good at, you know, can't wait to, to, to make sure the future is okay without actually ever making sure, you know, the past has been done in the right way and learning from that. It's a, it's a really good point you make and actually I'm going to write those down myself I think, and make sure I'm doing them. This episode of the Olympic Mindset is sponsored by Hue, makers of colourful, affordable visualisers and animation kits, perfect for creative teaching, homeschooling and remote working. Described by many teachers as a complete game changer, Hue's high quality USB document cameras have won awards worldwide and they are also STEM.org authenticated. Hue cameras make it quick and easy to share work, record lessons or save time and money by not having to photocopy. The manual focus and flexible neck means that you can show even the smallest objects and nobody misses out because they can't see. Follow at Hue Cameras on social media for news, fun and giveaways. And for a limited time offer of 10% discount, please enter the code OLYMPIC10 at the HueHD.com shop. And, and the point of those, Steve, is that you already have them. They, they've been built and instilled in you over this 20-year, however many year period that you've been in work. And I guess the reason I've brought it up is because, as you say about reflection, I've been terribly guilty of this, just driving ahead, new goal, new task, new goal, new task, pay rise, new job, whatever. 
and it drove my wife mad. You know, I've just never been happy. And it's not that I'm not happy, it's because I'm always striving for the next thing. So I guess having this podcast and speaking to other people and hearing their reflections and their musings and kind of, you know, I've had to do a bit of research into the theory of psychology and different things as well. And I found it fascinating. So I've got two young daughters and a third, a boy on the way. I guess what I'm trying to do is make sure that when I raise them, the greatest gift I can give to my kids that I've discovered from this podcast is self-efficacy. It's those four kind of things, you know, show them role models, show them that it can be done, instilling them confidence, and then obviously give them opportunities to fail, succeed, strive and move forward. So it it was just really interesting to hear that you naturally have this self-efficacy that is obviously built over time and and through challenging yourself and pushing yourself yeah I totally agree many people I meet maybe don't spend enough time challenging or pushing themselves and then they don't get to develop the mastery part and then that's where maybe there's a detachment where they maybe don't have the confidence to go and push themselves for a pay rise or a new job or even to try something new so it is what I was trying to kind of unpick and unpack in you that makes you special and allowed you to get to the level you got to. Yeah, and I don't think I'm special at all. Like I, I, that would, I think I'm doing just what I'm supposed to do. You know, you need a bit of luck along the way. You need to have that sort of certainly that drive and energy, but you've got to also have all these sort of different, so many moving parts to, to a business now, in particular our business, that you've got to make sure. I've got to make sure I'm on top of as much as I can be without being so in the weeds. And that's been that's been hard for me to make sure I'm stepping out of things yeah. because we're sort of growing up, um, you know, we're sort of we're perfectionists and things sometimes and um, not everything's going to be perfect. That's where you have to hand over autonomy and trust and, you know, empower people. And that's been difficult sometimes because you want to do it yourself. And, you know, I, I still get a lot of that within our teams, you know, you need to hand it over. You need to make sure the teams are evolving. You need to build the trust with them. You need to give them a chance. You know, that, that was hard for me to do. And I still find it quite hard, but, you know, because you want to be in the way to make sure everything's okay. Like, particularly when you've built something that's strong and has sustainability, as I talked about, and hopefully continued growth. I am. I live in perennial fear that it goes backwards. You know, like it's like you know, it's just I, I could, it would break my heart. So you know, give them, give them to what we are. But you know, we've got such a great team. Of, I don't believe that'll happen. But it does keep me awake at night sometimes. So obviously, delegation was clearly a struggle for you as you kind of came through the ranks. How did you overcome that, and and what did you learn about the benefits of delegation? I think I think finding that you know one hiring better people than me I think was one of my biggest things like literally building a team around me who were much better than me is is probably what I've done and and giving them you know the power to do do what they do and you know I've always wanted to make sure the team were were good foil for each other you know we're not all the same I think diversity is a massive issue in our business or sorry our industry and I think you know we've we we made we've probably got the most diverse team we've ever had in terms of thinking in terms of backgrounds um and I think that's that's helped an awful lot to make sure you know you're getting advice and counsel and knowledge and experience and specialism from so many different people in the business so it's less about the one or two or three making the big calls it's actually we're making big calls with way more people because you've got a you know deep rooted specialism right across the business, um, so I think that's one of the things we put in place that then delegating is very easy, as opposed to, you know, a, a challenge. It's changed a lot. I find it way easier because it's built on trust. And in terms of time management, how does delegation help you with that? Because you've 
you've alluded to this already, you've got lots of different areas of expertise, lots of different areas of responsibility. So how do you manage all of that and how do you spin all those plates? Um, I think you just have to be prepared, particularly the time zones we're working across, you know, as well. You throw that in our offer. I mean, God, working 11 hours ahead in Australia, running a global operation was <clears throat> sometimes a challenge. Um, ridiculous, you know, late night calls early morning, but that, you know, fine. It's all part of it. I, it doesn't really bother me. That. I think, um, you know, you have to just make time for all these things and, You've got to care. I mean, I've always, if you really care about something and you're emotionally engaged in it and you're passionate about it, it's not a problem. When you're not and you're sort of distracted or you're unhappy or, you know, you're not getting what you want or, you know, you're not feeling that sort of fulfillment through the work we're doing. Well, you know, I've always said to people, when that happens, you come and talk to me or if it happens, but, you know, it hasn't happened to me and I, that's why I've been so lucky to be part of it, but it makes it much easier then to throw everything into it and um, be able to handle sort of all those different, you know, moving parts the whole time. So it's never a big problem. Purpose is such an important thing. I feel like intrinsic motivation is something that maybe we don't always pay enough attention to. Um, and, you know, we there, there are lots of studies that actually show this, that extrinsic motivation through pay, through pay rise, through whatever, they're not always necessarily the biggest indicators for performance. Um, so I guess my question is, in terms of purpose, how did you find out what your kind of purpose was and have you found it? Um, for me personally or our business? You personally. I think you come across it through, you know, every year you evolve the business, every year we do better work every year you know the, the makeup of the business the challenges we face the work we actually do the briefs we get from clients change and change and change and change so i think then you want to make sure that you're leaving i mean my my, my purpose i think that you know with all that in mind is to make sure we future proof the business that is my job so i'm not going to be around the whole time hmm. and you know i want to make sure this business is as good as it was from the first year in 2004 to where it is now. And I would love it to thrive for the next 10, 15, 20 years again, because that's part of your own legacy. But my purpose is to make sure it's set up that it isn't sort of, a you know, isn't sort of based on these sort of this roller coaster ride that a lot of agencies go through and a lot of sports organizations go through. It's basically... It's got to be highly sustainable. It's got to be the most talked about agency around. It's got to be doing work that everybody's so proud to work on and share. Um, and I think my purpose is to make sure everything is in place for the business to thrive for the next five years, certainly. Um, and, you know, that, that means making calls and investments right now. I mean, we're making those calls every year, but I think now because of the nature of the macro pressures that, that, that businesses and organizations are under, you're going to make sure you're, you know, fitter and leaner and better to, to, to cut through any any potential sort of macro dramas. But I think we are. Mm. And interestingly, you know, in, when there are sort of big issues in the world, the sport and entertainment industry has continued to thrive. In fact, people div divert to their passions almost more. In those times, and and I think you know even more so that makes me want to make sure that the business doesn't get knocked sideways by things that we can't control. It's interesting that your purpose is tied so heavily to legacy. 
Has it always been that way or is that something that's evolved as your career has kind of developed? I've actually hated the word legacy. I've, I've literally hated it. I think it's been a poison on the on the sports industry for years. Like around London 2012, oh, the legacy of this. Like, it's all nonsense. It's actually just nonsense. It's a terrible word. And it's. I think it's fine for legacy for individuals, but not those sort of things. I, and it's probably evolved in the last few years. And that's not to say you're coming to the end of a career, far from it. Um, it's more just you, you think about making sure as the teams evolve and the people under you evolve and, you know, we get a little bit older, but that's fine. So, yeah, probably you probably think about it a little more over the last couple of years, um, even though I don't like the word legacy. <laughs> let's, let's say longevity then, and I'll, I'll edit <laughs> yeah, that out. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt in the doubt. I, I think it's important people hear it. I just, it's like, oh... That it's true, again. though. I, I agree, actually. But I think l- longevity is important. So not necessarily legacy. I think I agree with you. It was the longevity of the organization continuing and, and being successful. So, you know, you've touched on that a little there. What would you say the kind of biggest learnings of your career? You've obviously gone through lots of different roles, lots of different things. If you could say three things that you've taken away from your career and you could pass on to yourself, starting out again, however many years ago, what would you go back and say to that person? Three biggest learnings do something you really care about like i would say number one so if you have a passion for something you know from a just a, you know just the way you're built or what you're interested in if you can if you can apply that to the world of business and commerce or you know it might not be just business it might be teaching my whatever but whatever you're passionate about if you can then translate that into something that you can work around that's number one and i did that very very early on in fact you know, my dad was a massive influence on me on that. He always, you know, I had careers advisors saying, oh, you you know, you really should go into the financial world or you should be a solicitor or you should work in the bank. Like, what a load of nonsense. Like, couldn't couldn't have been further from the truth. And, you know, I had other, I remember there was a lady, actually my dad used to work for the BBC in the sports department in Northern Ireland. And there was a head of BBC Sport at the time called Joy Williams. He was the most effervescent, like, incredible lady like i mean unbelievable she was um particularly in the sort of 70s and 80s in northern ireland and i remember we used to have it she used to always have a christmas party that we'd go to and she said to me when i was like 11 years old she said to me you you need to be in this sort of you need to work in sport and you need to work in the media game or the pr game or something that's what you should be doing Honestly, I remember that conversation when I was 11 years old, and that's what I decided when I was 11. That's what I was going to do. Self-efficacy, role model, positive reinforcement. Correct, and it's insane, but also direction. And I think, you know, so I think focusing is, is really clear on direction and make sure you go for that. I think the second thing for me, you know, bring people with you. I, I, you know, I think it's a, an enormous part of it is is I'm trying to persuade a lot of people to do a lot of things. and one to join a business that I started in 2004 by myself sitting there going, what am I doing? So I had to people with no clients, nothing, and you know, with a, at a massive loss. So he said, what was I going to do? So I think biggest learning is be persuasive, be true, be honest and be clear with people and, you know, real clarity of know where they stand. But I think that's, that's the second thing. And then I guess the third thing is this sort of real mental toughness. I'd be strong, but you can't just make that up. You can't just, I can't be fake. You know, it needs to come from within. And I think if you can be strong and not distracted and 
not get overexcited about the really good times and not get really down in the dumps about the bad times. If you can keep a real level head, then you're much better in terms of, you know, to be around. And I think if you have bosses or people you're around who are highly volatile, it's really, it's hard to be around that. And I've been around characters like that. I've also been around people that they get so down in the dumps or so high about things that gets too much. So I think if you can keep that, that real strength around you and not not get carried away, I think is really important on, on, you know, up or down. Is there anything you do specifically to kind of check yourself if you're feeling like you're getting too carried away or you're getting too low? Of course, it, it's business. There are going to be highs and lows. There are going to be a load of frustrations, you know, internal frustrations and external. So, you know, you've got all these sort of things happening all the time. So for me, I, I talk to people. I think it's important to talk to people. I've got trusted confidants i've got trusted people that can nothing to do with our industry i can talk to i've got great friends i've grown up with who are you know they're world class in what they're doing some of them um you know done 50 times more than me so um i can talk to them so you know i always talk about stuff i think i'm a i'm a great believer of putting cards on the table and you know being really really honest about stuff and you tend to sort things out in minutes but I do have default people that I talk to and really trust about things to be able to open up. Do you ever suffer with procrastination? And if you don't, what kind of tips do you have for people that do? Um, no, I really don't. I think, and, and I, I find it very frustrating that people sort of dither around things. And a lot of people put barriers up that aren't even there, right? So it's sort of these mythical things that evolve in their heads. And the more time they think about it, the worse it gets. So... If you don't have clarity of thought and clarity of purpose, and then you're going to dither around things, you're going to overthink things, you're going to then overcomplicate things, and as a result, maybe the idea isn't right in the first place. So, um, no, I I really can't stand it. If we make a call, we do it, and we get on with it. We make it happen, and that's the classic sort of Northern Irish approach, I guess. There's no non no nonsense. <laughs> At times when opportunities kind of come to us most people just miss those don't they they never take advantage of those opportunities or they don't see them sometimes till it's too late yeah they do and you know you can only give those sort of people as much encouragement as you can and you get like you, you know you move on and i don't know like it's different it, it is difficult and you know the frame of reference you mentioned at the start there don't about you know an athlete who's performed at you know the highest level you know, probably being like a child sort of star when they're 14, 15, 16, you know, they're they're absolute elite athletes competing at the very top of the game. And we, we'd all have given our right eye for you to, to have that experience. You know, you have dreams and aspirations when you're younger. But those guys who went on to do it, actually, I think it's very difficult for them now coming out if they don't make it or they're not on a sport that is financially sort of, you know, you can make serious money and, four or five years you know there's only a few, few of those sports as you know um and that's a difficult challenge and i've you know experienced a lot of rugby players ex-footballers athletes cricketers tennis guys like there's so many who come out of the sport but they come out of the sport when they're like 28 29 and i look at a lot of my sort of compatriots or whatever you know we've done eight or nine years in business since by then so you know you've got to go back to the start in a way and 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 in a way can't expect a lot of help from people you'll get a lot of help and advice and counsel but you still got to help yourself in that that situation so it's a very difficult process that yeah i spoke to beth tweddle about this actually 
um, and Joe Polifasakis, he's a Canadian save offender, both said the same thing. So when they came out, they had to really push their ego to the side a bit and push their insecurities to the side and eat a bit of humble pie because they were starting again, but they both went in at a decent level because they, well, Beth opened her own company, started her own organization, and Joe would manage to get qualifications as he pushed through his career. It was really hard for both of them to, as you say, kind of start again. There is that fine line, I guess, between also recognizing their worth because there is a lot of positives to play in sport and being in that limelight and dealing with that pressure, isn't there, in terms of like employability? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, because the mindset is amazing. I mean, amazing. And if you can you know, export some of that and um, make people, you know, have part of that belief within business. There's just a lot of people at it. I mean, it's it was interesting. I remember, you know, coming out of 2012, whenever, the, you know, Team GB, for example, won so many Olympic Olympic medals. I mean, it was an extraordinary haul of medals, which has continued to this day. You know, going back to 1996 or 2000 in Sydney, it was like a handful of, you know, three or four, Team GB gold medals. Those people are the bigger names still, um, and and actually, um, you know, made really good careers and probably highly commercial careers as well in that time. Whereas now there've been so many medals won that not everybody can make a career out of sport or into broadcast or into the media or into coaching or into you know leadership roles. I mean, it's very very tricky. Um, so there are a lot of there's a lot of talent coming out of sport. At, a, at an age which is still considered young, but no sort of commercial awareness or business awareness. Um, and it's 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 a real challenge that there's got to be something that is set up to help a lot of those, not, not those talented people who have got incredible values to bring to organisations. Um, so it's, it's an interesting one. There are lots of athletes that we're dealing with as part of this podcast and, and might be listening. So... What advice would you give to them if they were listening and they were thinking, right, I'm 28, 29, or even oh, hopefully they're a little bit younger, they're leaving soon. What advice would you give to them in terms of being able to transition out of sport and into the world of business? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they, um, the biggest thing for me is, is to reflect on what their goals are again and understand, you know, it's almost going back to start and say, what do they want to do? Um, I think it's really, really important that to, you know, reframe their whole mindset and then think, okay, what what is the key areas? They can't just sort of let's let's sort of get one size fits everything, and um, you know they're they're distracted in so many different ways and pulled and hauled in so many different ways. I think if I'm an athlete coming out of that, that'd be one thing. Okay, what can I actually offer? What is the what are the one or two things that I have a ruthless focus that I was known for, and I can you know really help an organisation or an individual. Or, you know, I bring those values to that organization, really have a bit of reflection, stop and reflect and think of what those are and work out what they are. Because I think it, just because they're, an, a, you know, a sports person doesn't mean they're going to sort of walk into anything. Um, I think gone are, the, gone are those days, you know, I think you can't, nobody can carry anybody really. But um, I think they've got to make sure they've got absolute clarity of thought of what they want to do. Um, and then obviously socialize that. Um, and then talk to a lot of the people who they've, you know, have come up. They probably don't realise how many people they've been influenced by or, or know and have met through that time and talk to the right people um, as opposed to hoping that it's going to land on a plate. I don't think anyone would think that. But I think, for me, certainly, I think there needs to be completely reframed and a reset 
Have you got any advice for somebody that would be looking to transition into your world of work? So there are lots of people out there right now reconsidering opportunities in work, whatever they might be doing. How would they get into your kind of field of work and how could they progress through? I look I look at people and I want to know, I want to think, can I and will I want to spend time with them? So do I want to be around them? Do I want to, do I want to, do I want them on my side of the table? Do I want to be can I see them presenting to clients? Can I see them be good partners to clients? Can I see them being, you know, here for the long run? They're not sort of here to make an end themselves with 24 hours and the way to go. Um so yeah, and, and sometimes those things are hard to judge in one or two interviews, you know, and tell people like that. But but I think we we sort of pride ourselves, we've had very, very low churn as a business. Um, across the board relative to the industry. Um, people tend to move on. If they do move on, they have incredible opportunities. They don't tend to move on to other agencies, which is great. I know we've always quite enjoyed that. You know, when people do move on, they move on to something very special and we will celebrate that. Um, so I, I don't know. I think I think it's important that people can feel that they're, you know, they're part of something and part of something bigger and that, that they can create a real career for themselves over a great period of time, as opposed to come in here, you know, with 18 months hitting away. <clears throat> and we, we don't want that. And the final question is, you mentioned earlier that if you could bottle that kind of mindset of an athlete, it would be great. What would that mindset look like if you could break it down into a number of features or values? I would say having very clear goals and ambitions, because, you know, that that's number one. So and that applies really really well to, to business and what we do you know having clear goals for where you want to be and how you want to get there what are the stepping stones you need to put in place <clears throat> to get to those things um particularly you know when you're starting out like we started out 2004 you know we didn't just make it up um with a very clear goal of what we wanted to be how we wanted to achieve it how, how we'd go about it as well you know the, the sort of rhythm to the business and a, and a a manner and how we go about it. So I think a lot of that from from an athlete's point of view of really, really clear vision of where they want to go to and how they want to do it. And um and then listening to people and not believing that it can just you can just do it by yourself. I think that's incredibly important. Making sure you've got the absolute right structure and people around you to thrive. And that's not with a you know load of yes men or yes people nodding nodding dogs you know it's people who are going to challenge you and you have a healthy tension you know that that's around you to make sure that you're making the right calls and you know you're doing that as a, as a team I, I i think the ceo as we talked about can make some you know big calls and you have to have strong shoulders but at the same time you're making and evolving things as a, as a unit as a team so i think that would be my main main sort of learnings if you like or advice of making sure you've got people around you that you can move together as opposed to it all being just about you steve it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and finally to get get together and speak um thank you very much for joining me on the olympic mindset podcast pleasure dominic and um good luck with everything i will listen intently to your future broadcasts and um I think you've obviously started incredibly well, so I hope it goes well for you. Thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, at the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by Pearson, the world's leading learning company. 
Now, at the end of today's episode, we do have a chat with a very special guest, the owner of VSI. He's a former professional footballer. He played for Manchester City Football Club. And Tony managed to reinvent himself after his career and create this amazing organisation that allows ex-athletes and executive leaders to work together on high-level, high-caliber executive leadership courses. So we're going to have a quick chat with Tony today, hear a little about himself, a little about the organization. And if you are looking to apply the Olympic mindset and develop yourselves further, then get in touch with VSI. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed my brief chat with Tony and see you next time. Hi, Tony. How are you? I'm well, Dom. How are you? Good. Thank you, mate. Looking forward to seeing you later at the start of the CEO program. We're all ready to go. Seven o'clock tonight. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Excellent. And for anybody listening that is interested in joining on the programme or future programmes, how can they do so, Tony? Um, they can always drop me an email, uh, Tony at VSIEE.com. Um, I can have a conversation around uh, the direction of travel that they're looking to go in and see if the, the programme is, is appropriate for them. Excellent. So um, I've got a quick question for you based on some of the interviews we've conducted with the Olympic Mindset podcast. A common thread coming through is, Tony, what's the difference between a leader and a manager? Yeah, real interesting question. We get asked that a lot. I mean, I have an opinion. It's 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 my opinion based on my experiences over the years. I've, I've had the, um, uh, the the joy now of working across sport, business and education. And, and I've often seen how effective managers play a role that often, in my opinion, charismatic leaders are somewhat incapable of playing. And here's how I define effective managers. They, they go through four areas and they do these four things very well. And let, Let's use sport as an analogy. They may come from a football background, but if they are competent and, well, let's say highly skilled in these four areas. And I believe that they can go on and work in, to, in other industries. When we look at these four areas, the, the way it breaks down is, is that they, they select the right person. And when they select that right person, they're looking um, at areas of talent, which include motivation, uh cognition and relationships so what i mean by that is um they understand the person that they're selecting from a motivational perspective what are their drivers uh are they driven internally externally or both what what is their purpose so they've got a very clear understanding of what motivates this individual from a cognitive perspective they understand how this person functions they understand how this person makes decisions and critically finds solutions. Uh, and they understand how this, how this person has the ability to prioritize, deal with adversity and make the tough call and manage and lead their self from a cognitive perspective. And then they also, when selecting the right person, they look at relationships. So can this person build relationships? Are they able to interact appropriately for a given situation? What personality is required for the role that I'm selected for? So that whole aspect of selecting the right person, understanding their, their motivation, cognitively how they function and how they develop relationships is, is, is really important from a management perspective. Then I've seen these effective managers 
work very, very effectively in the area of setting the expectations. Effective managers, they clearly define the outcomes required. Um, so there's no confusion whatsoever with regards to, to what's expected. The third area that, that I've, I've witnessed with regards to effective managers is how they motivate the person. Over the years, Dom, I've, I've constantly seen managers trying to change people, which, which has always challenged me to some extent. You know, commonly they help people identify their weaknesses, then expect the person to overcome them. Um, once the effective manager um, has selected for talent and identified the expected outcomes, their role is now not to demotivate that person. Their role as the effective manager is to allow that person to be as good as they can be in the areas of their strengths. Again, I think a sporting analogy, a footballing analogy equates well to this. We see a manager by a, um, a left back and then all of a sudden try and convert them into a midfield player. And, and he doesn't perform in midfield. And it's no wonder why, because, you know, they haven't got the knowledge, they haven't got the skill, they haven't got the experience and so on and so forth. So effective managers are able to position the people that they work with in the areas where they are, where is the best fit for them. The final area which I've witnessed over the years with regard, regards to effective managers is, is how they develop their people. As a manager, if you if you don't already have at some point um, or you've not been at some point, you'll be asked, where do I go from here? Often a manager um, of that person will answer with, well, it, it, it's got to come from the person asking the question. But effective managers assist in helping each person finding the right fit. So effective managers challenge and support each person to discover roles, jobs, careers, uh, where their blend of knowledge and skills and strengths marry with the requirements of the role. In a nutshell, the four things that these effective managers do is they select the right person based on understanding their motivation, understanding cognitively how they function and understanding how they develop relationships. They set the expectations based on the outcome required. Um, they motivate the person by allow, allowing them to be more of who they are. So they work to their strengths and then they aid and assist in the development of that person. So, you know, that they can achieve the goals required, whether that's for the organization itself or whether that's for um, for them individually. And and I suppose you know, answering your question there, that's where, that's very much where I see the difference between between a leader and a manager. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Just listening to the, there's there's elements, I think, of, for me, I've been talking a lot in work at the moment about mentorship and coaching programs and weighing up which one to go with and, you know, the pros and cons to both. And the one thing that kind of comes through is the mentorship program is definitely more um, involved is more directive. And I feel like what you're talking about is as a manager to be more effective, we have to be more involved in the process. We have to walk the walk. We have to, we have to be involved. We have to help direct. We have to give clarity. We have to work with colleagues to set goals, not just allow them to go off and do their own thing. Is that what we're saying? It is. This isn't about micromanaging people. 
this is just about, you know, as a manager of a department, of a function, of a business, understanding how these areas that, you know, you know we've touched on um, drive the overall business, the, the, the direction that the business is looking to go in, but also provide the level of support and challenge for the individuals for them to be as good as they can be so yes i would i would agree with how you've how you've summed that up yeah very much so tony thank you once again for the insight and thank you for the sharing of your your amazing you know wealth of knowledge um i'm sure we'll come back to you again with future questions but for now thank you very much and, and have a great week thanks don we'll catch up soon cheers tony bye cheers bye